Good morning, everyone. I, I'm sure there's someone here that I don't know, so I'll just introduce myself briefly. I'm Josh, uh, the teaching pastor here. Um, my wife uh, did MC last week, and I knew something had shifted in the culture when she got up here and spoke about sport, because she normally gets really annoyed um, when Graham and I and other people who are up here, men, I guess, talk about sport. <laughs> But the Tillies did something to us, didn't they? Uh, in the prayer meeting this morning, Christy was, was praying about tearing down uh, the high places. So it's Old Testament sort of imagery of when uh, our lives can have idolatry creep in, basically, and we can be worshipping someone other um, than the living God and... Um, I wonder if we got there. If Sharon's talking about sport on a Sunday morning, maybe we got some high places to tear down. It took, took women's soccer to, uh, to get me to see. No, it's been good. I'll talk about something that's not sport. Anyone go to the Ecker this week? Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty good. Um, I have a, another job, as, as many of you know, and I was fairly organised this year where I had arranged not to work on Wednesday, uh, but the organisation I, I work for, lecturing over at Alpha Crucis, is sort of national and beyond, and so um, it's only Brisbane uh, that had the holiday this week, so I just emailed my boss, not Graham or Jesus, the other boss, to say, um, hey, I'm not working uh, this Wednesday, and he emailed back, he's, in, he's an American, and he's in New South Wales, so I, I, I imagine he quickly Googled, why is Josh having the day off? <laughs> and, he, and he said, a very blessed, what did he say, a very blessed People's Day of the Royal Agricultural <laughs> Show to you, Josh. And I thought, is he having a go? Does he think I should, he, does he think I should be working on Ecker Day? Fat chance. Uh, I did have a very blessed People's Day of the Royal Agricultural Show, not at the ECA, um, but uh, well done to all of you who got there and uh, entered a, what do you enter, scones, a cow, um, I imagine there was lots of that sort of agricultural stuff happening at, from an inner city church like Brisbane. Anyway, um, today, uh, to get on with what we're actually here for, we're continuing this series uh, through the noise, and I wonder, Reuben, if you could just throw that first slide up there, uh, we really we spent way too long talking about what we should call this, and I think I think this works. Um, but it speaks to the idea that there is a lot of static, a lot of noise in culture, and to be a disciple of Jesus, and the good news that uh, it, it sort of is a part of being a disciple of Jesus, the good news that we would declare as disciples of Jesus, isn't always welcome news uh, when we go into the world. Um, Oftentimes, uh, people are hearing something that's not good news. Uh, and so we wanted to kind of spend some time looking at and hearing from different voices. How can we cut through uh, the noise so that when people uh, come face to face, as we hope they do with us, um, with Jesus, they can hear good news for what it is, good news so we're two messages into this, um, and I'll just go back um, to where I uh, took us, and uh, along the way I'll, I'll talk um, to the message that Pastor Graham preached last week. 
Um, but I started the series by sort of saying, actually, let's not, and I hope this comes as good news to you, good news people, let's not sort of suffer under the illusion that every time we share the good news, it's, it's going to work. Um, Jesus had encounters with people like the woman at the well, where the good news that he shared of living water was received gratefully. However, he also had interactions with people where it couldn't be received. So this is a painting of him speaking to the rich young ruler, someone who uh, seemed to be interested in his message of eternal life and yet couldn't grasp it, couldn't receive it. And I spoke about how there will be open doors, like the woman at the well, but there will also be closed doors to the good news of Jesus' kingdom coming. And actually, um, we can uh, fall into two traps. The first is just trying to keep the door wedged open and sort of uh, running the risk that Christianity loses its particular flavour, its, it, it, its sort of um, unique uh, identity, um, that it's just another path to God. Uh, Jesus is quite clear that he has come to do something that is unlike uh, other ways that we might live our life, that his kingdom is, uh, is a kingdom that is over all other kingdoms and that he is the way to eternal life. So we can't keep the door wedged open, watering our faith down. The other risk that we run is potentially just imagining that the door's always going to be shut and our duty is simply to kind of shout out the good news uh, and, and the consequences sort of be damned, as it were. If people want to hear it, good for them, but we kind of almost imagine they aren't going to hear it and so we might approach sharing the good news <laughs> a little bit like this. Um, and you'll remember that I did say, you know, I, I think God, God works in all sorts of ways. Uh, I think he, he bends to us. Um, and I think someone who's doing something like that, probably doing it with good intentions. However, my experience is um, to sort of be shouting out, repent or you will burn, maybe not the most effective way to share God's love. And so we are managing the tension between those two poles. And I suggest that actually it might be better to think about what we're doing as um, following Jesus rather than uh, either of those two things. Because God, um, those, you know, uh, there is damnable things happening in the world. People are doing damnable things one to another. All sorts of suffering and horror in the world. God, <laughs> in Jesus, has a hope for the salvation of the world. And he comes for the salvation of the world, not the condemnation of the world. So you'll remember, and I'm just about to kind of sum up, to move forward where I was as followers of Jesus, um, we're about salvation, we're, we're, we hope for the salvation of the world, not the condemnation. So I said there's a few ways that we can contribute to the noise as messengers of the kingdom, as good news people, uh, when we're not real, when people feel more judged than loved, and when people feel like sort of notches on our spiritual belt, not like we actually truly see them. And I suggested ways of cutting through the noise. We need to be real, be honest about who we are with people. Don't pretend to have it all together. Don't pretend that uh, the church is a perfect place. We need to turn up the volume on love so that people encounter love as much as the judgment they might feel. 
when they see that we live differently to them and have different values. Our actions and words need to communicate love. And then people need to be known and valued for who they are. They're not boxes to be ticked. Um, They are people who God loves. And I think Graham was speaking to that just before. But what I want to take some time to speak about this morning, and in some ways, uh, my message this morning is really uh, about getting me to sharing a story that I'll close with. I want to speak this morning about how... um, One of the things that we need to be as good news people, people who have been given living water, people who see the coming of Jesus' kingdom as good news, we need to inhabit place and time in a different way. The Bible is actually really interested in time. Um, And it's something that we can miss uh, in our kind of cultural context because uh, time in the kind of biblical context meant something a bit different. And the first place I think we see this really clearly um, is actually in Genesis 1. But it's something that comes up again and again through the Old Testament. And um, I think it comes out of the relationship of Israel to the people around them and the revelation that they have of a good God in the face of so much suffering. So you might know that a big part of Israel's story is coming from slavery into freedom, coming from an identity of servitude and and slavery to other people into the promised land and into their own identity. I've got a picture there. I just kind of Googled slavery in Babylon and slavery in Egypt. They're the two big baddies in the Old Testament. And the life of the Hebrews, as we read it in the Old Testament, was about productivity to serve these ungodly empires. So they worked around the clock, sun up to sundown, building things for for cruel kings and their gods. Um, If you have a look at the Ten Commandments, you can see this fairly clearly. Uh, Probably the most sort of respected, broadly respected Old Testament scholar of our time, a guy called Walter Brueggemann says, um, these commandments go beneath social performance and social appearance to the deep God versus the gods. So the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, versus the gods of the nations. And uh, if you pick up the Ten Commandments in um, the Old Testament, you'll find the first four go like this. So you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not worship idols, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, And then you shall remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. That's the fourth commandment. One of the things you might notice, if we just limit uh, the Ten Commandments to these first four for our purposes this morning, the first one speaks to the fact that the God of Israel wants to be uh, and is uh, unique amongst the other gods. So he's sort of saying, I am the true God, and if you're going to be one of my people, you will uh, follow only me not the gods of the nations. Consequently, you won't worship the gods of other nations. 
and you shall represent me truly in the world. So when you speak of the God of Israel, there should be no chance that I get mixed up with the other gods. When you portray me in the world, I'm not just a created thing. I'm the creator of all. Those things really speak to God's identity in a kind of um, abstract sense, in a general sense. The fourth commandment takes us to the particular nature of that God. So what is this God who is the God above all gods, who um, should be the only one we worship, who we need to be really clear about how we speak about him and portray him? What is he like? Well, he's like this. He says that every seven days you need to rest. Interesting, isn't it? You need to take time out from the flow of life, from all you're doing, and rest and worship. It's almost, in a way, like the first commandment, (laughs) once you know that God's different. What is this God like? He says, take a break. (laughs) There's something about putting time aside, something about a break from productivity that is really central to who God is and who he wants his people to be. He wants his people to experience peace, shalom. He wants his people to enjoy life together. If you read um, the Bible deeply, you'll see that the Sabbath is also connected to this idea of jubilee that all people should have a portion, <laughs> that all people should have a share and that their, uh, their generation should have a future, that we shouldn't have a system where the strong get stronger and the weak get weaker and the strong get to rest and the weak have to work. God is building into the very fabric of uh, the culture that he wants his people to have. And, of course, if you read Genesis 1, you see that he sort of, uh, it, it's, it's like a, a principle in the universe that all people should have rest and time is really significant to that. As is the way um, with many kind of principles from the Old Testament, when they reach the New Testament, they get slightly adapted, slightly modified, um, though they stay true to their core. And Paul I think takes this uh, Jewish idea of time as really important to God, as God's people somehow using time differently. And he does uh, a few things with it, but one of the things that we find he does with it, we can find in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So you can um, check this in your Bibles if you like. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29 and Paul says this what I mean brothers and sisters is that the time is short for from now on those who have wives should live as though they do not have wives those who mourn as if they did not mourn those who are happy as if they were not happy those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep those who use the things of this world as if they were not engrossed in them. 
for this world in its present form is passing away. So he just gives a few examples of the way that our priorities will shift if we're a part of Jesus' community. Those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who were happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if they were not engrossed in them. For the world in its present form is passing away. I want to just draw your attention to the way that Paul opens this passage. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Now, I mentioned uh, a little earlier that uh, one of the things we can miss when we're reading the Bible uh, is that there's a cultural distance, right? And so... Uh, the way that we think about time is not necessarily the same way that time was thought about in the biblical cultures. Um, it's been observed by philosophers and cultural critics that Western people in the modern world tend to think of time very much in terms of chronology. So the days that pass by, the seconds that pass by, the minutes that pass by, the calendar, what year it is and so forth. We're so used to that that it's just sort of almost taken for granted that that's what time is. My 11-year-old said to me, actually he's 10, isn't he? I'm, I'm maybe not clued in to time enough. My 10-year-old said to me the other day, Dad, have you ever thought about the fact that, like, what we call the days is just what we call them? Like, is Thursday really a thing? I'm like, yeah, that's a really... Um, interesting thought, Iggy, because um, I think Iggy's often camping in his mind. And who's been camping for long enough to know that you can lose touch with what day of the week it is? You can get into a rhythm where time passes you by in terms of sunrise and sunset, you know, your first coffee, your first surf, and so forth. Um, but we're so used to kind of mapping our calendars and our watches onto time that we think of it in a particular way. So when we read the time is short here, we risk misunderstanding Paul. Actually in the Greek, and I'm not going to go <laughs> too deep into this, but some of you might know enough of Greek to see that second word there and to know that it is kairos. And to know actually that the Greek language talks about time in terms of chronos, which is sort of historical passing time, day after day after day, second after second, minute after minute, though um, they didn't have secos back then. But you get the point. Kairos is more like the times that we're in, the seasons that we're in. And so what Paul is saying here is not that we've got less time, but that we're in a particular time. And it's probably more correct to translate short in terms of the word contracted. Time has contracted, he, send, he says. Um, when I go back and look at how this word is used in Greek, one of the w 
one of the kind of pictures that comes along with it is time has contracted like an animal that is gathering its strength ready to pounce. Time has contracted like, um, I had to look up what a clue line was, but like uh, the ship's sails sort of uh, pushed out under a stiff breeze. There's a sense of anticipation and expectation and purpose that comes into the time that you are living in because you have received the good news of Jesus. In the same chapter, he says, So each person should remain in the situation where God called them in this time. Uh, If you are uh, circumcised when you were called by God, don't become uncircumcised. If you're uncircumcised, don't go and get circumcised. That's good news to some of us. Um, If you're a slave when you were called, don't be too worried about becoming a free man. If you're a free man when called, continue in the calling that God has given you because the priorities of your life have changed. Time has somehow contracted like an animal ready to pounce, like sails that are trimmed to catch the breeze. There is a purpose that has come into your life with the good news, which reorients how you would live your life, how you would spend your time. Speaking of time, I'm running out of it. So I'm going to jump to the story that I wanted to tell you, and we're going to have communion in about uh, two or three minutes. I'll call the stewards up to help us with that. One of the joys of my job, the other job, is that I get to work with people who are uh, figuring out research problems, problems that have come to them. And I've been uh, working with a guy who's a specialist engineer in another part of the country. And um, he sort of, as I was sort of saying, what, you know, what are you investigating? How can I help you? Uh, he said, I had this experience, I'm now in my midlife, of coming to faith as a young man and I feel like I'm in a good place now, maturity, my faith makes sense. But he's like, it, I realise it took me like 20 plus years to reach where I'm at. So that's just too long. I flapped around. I realise actually that the church needs to get serious about discipling people so they can get on with being good disciples and disciplers. So great, that's a great project. I said he was discipling a young man a few years ago that just ghosted him and he doesn't know why. So he wants to investigate what makes for effective discipleship of Generation Z, this guy. And anyway, we're having these conversations, we're looking at resources, he's sending me his drafts and that sort of thing. And he told me a story uh, the other week um, where he was at work, working with a young guy in the workshop, they actually work on aircraft. And um, this guy's all tatted up. I might actually get um, the stewards ready to hand out the communion so we can just do it when the time comes. All tatted up. And he said, tell me about your tattoos. And this young guy starts to tell him the story of, you know, what, what he's got inked on him, basically. And the guy that is doing this research said to me, I noticed twice in the story, he said, You know, we've only got 80 years, so I'm just living my life (laughs) because I know I've only got 80 years. 
maybe less. And the student that I'm working with, let's call him Ben, said, you know, what if, what if we don't? What if there's more than 80 years? I like to think that what we do here has some sort of eternal consequence. See, he was speaking about time differently. Ben is a disciple of Jesus who gets that as Christians, we don't just live producing day by day, minute by minute. There's something else going on with time. And this young man said, yeah, I don't know about that. And, and so Ben said, you know what I see in you? I see a leader, actually. I, I reckon you could run this workshop. I think you've got the skills to do it. And I think that God gave you those skills. And actually, I think the work that you do here, making sure that aircraft are safe, has value that goes beyond the 80 years that you might get on this earth. And Ben said it was like the young man lit up to be encouraged in that moment, to have someone speak hope into his life, to just open up the possibility that he wasn't just grinding day after day for paycheck after paycheck, but that there was a bigger purpose in life. The young man said, I don't really know about the God stuff, to be honest, Ben. And Ben, this goes back to my sermon the other week, speaking of being real, I love this. He said, hey, I'm an engineer too. (laughs) I don't really get it either. You and I, we're the same. We're trained to deal with, you know, the physical and the material. (laughs) So I'm thinking that way all the time. But what I can say is, I've had this sense of hope that I saw flash across your face and I've been living with it for years now. It's changed my life and I think it's real. And he left it at that. And he was wrestling, did I do the right thing? And I have to say, Ben, I think you did. (laughs) I think you spoke love and hope into that young man's life. And when he's ready, if he's ready, he'll come back to you and... I said, Ben, I love this story. Can I share this story? And Ben said, you can if you'll pray for this young man. Don't you love that? Like an animal ready to pounce. Going into that workshop every day. Ready to be a bearer of the good news of God. Like a man who sets the sail every morning. An expectation the wind of the Holy Spirit can blow through. He can be a part of sharing hope. It's not that hard really, is it? It's just about a change of mind. It's about doing more than clocking on and clocking off.